0: as always, such an angelic voice, (laughs) and I think that song brought back a lot of memories for a lot of us. We've heard that, so it's an oldie but a goodie. Good morning, church. And graduates, yeah, I want to offer and extend my congratulations, too, for um, wonderful achievement by all of you as we're watching the faces and the Names and the different degrees, so much diversity um, and lots of hard work that went into earning those degrees. So, congratulations. You know, graduation season, um, some of you probably did this too. We go to the store, we look through a lot of the graduation cards at um, Long's or Hallmark, and I saw all kinds of words of encouragement, right? And, and we've heard them all the world is your oyster. Um, you got this. You can do anything you want. Go confidently in the direction of your dreams. In fact, let's take a short quiz, okay? In honor of those of you that just finished school and you studied really hard and you took your finals and wrote your papers, okay? Does anybody know who said the future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams? <laughs> Eleanor Roosevelt. How about this one? This one's a little more contemporary. Um, so many of us choose our path out of fear disguised as practicality. You can fail at what you don't want, so you might as well take a chance on doing what you love. <laughs> Eleanor Roosevelt, now. <nah. laughs> Jim Carrey. Yeah, Jim Carrey's given some um, inspiring graduation addresses. No pain, no gain. I didn't know this one when I looked it up. It's, it's um, Ben Franklin, Benjamin Franklin, yeah. Okay, last one. There is no normal life that is free of pain. It's the very wrestling with our problems that can be the impetus for our growth. And this one might be harder for the younger people. Fred Rogers, good old Mr. Rogers. Yeah. So, I don't know if you noticed, but These quotes that I read, it moved from dreaming and doing what you love to talking about pain, right? No pain, no gain. Because the reality is that life, especially as it exists today, right, around us, we've all overcome so much with a pandemic, it has a good amount of pain. Ew, that's depressing, In 1998, there was a young man that was attending the college, um, University of Wyoming, and he endured extreme pain. Pain that would not just affect him, but his family, and the town, and the entire nation. This young man's story, some 20 years later after the event, it is even more relevant the kinds of controversies and issues that our world and our country, our communities, and even our churches are facing today. Matthew Shepard was a 19-year-old man, smaller stature, about 5'2 and 105 pounds. He was also smart and kind and caring and he wanted to make a difference in the lives of those who were less privileged. He was most probably on his way to being a great lobbyist or an advocate because of his philanthropic heart and this philosophical side that he had. And he so desperately wanted to be loved. On October 6, 1998, Matthew Shepard was lured out of a bar one night in Laramie, Wyoming and taken to the outskirts of town He was brutally beaten in the head some 19-plus times with the barrel of a gun tied to a wooden fence post, stripped of his wallet and shoes in case he somehow miraculously survived and would try to walk back to town. Overnight in the cold and in the dark of night, Matthew's body lay lifeless until a cyclist happened to bike past and actually thought at first glance that he saw a scarecrow. When he took another look, he realized the horror of what had happened and what followed was the arrest of four young people who were involved in the crime. Matthew never regained consciousness. Five days later, he died. And some likened Matthew's mode of death to the crucifixion of Christ, which Matthew's dad rejected. Christ was sacrificed for a good purpose. Matthew's death was just plain evil. The motive for his murder, Matthew's shepherd was gay. A hate crime. Something that, 20 plus years later, is still an evil that persists in our society, whether it be against LGBTQA, African-Americans, maskers and non-maskers, Asian-Americans, Christians, the list goes on and on. We have begun a new series, Cruciformed. Crucim meaning cross and form meaning shaped. And last week, Pastor Rebecca kicked off our series with the primacy of the cross and how the cross of Jesus is primary to our faith. So I tried to summarize it here in this slide. In summary, Pastor Rebecca taught us in her points, preposterous as it seems to popular assumptions about success and suffering The cross of Jesus has power to shape our life and our world and preaches to teach us still today. If you didn't get to listen to that sermon on June 6, I urge you to do that. You can access it via YouTube through our Wellspring website. Today, we are talking about the godlessness of the cross which will unfold as we begin to take a closer look at the crucifixion. I have to confess, up until starting this series, I looked at the cross as deeply symbolic of my faith, but less focused on sin and the depths of God and Jesus's pain, certainly preferring to view it without, Jesus's lifeless body attached to it. This has changed for me in deeply meaningful ways. And I hope by the end of our sermon today, it will stir you in the same way, particularly when sin, abandonment, shame and evil are so prevalent in our world today and the cross becomes more crucial to our lives than ever. So having started with this heart-wrenching story about Matthew Shepard, we are not surprisingly going to the place of Jesus' crucifixion. As Jesus goes to the cross, think about this. The crucifixion of Jesus was an utter reversal of what God's promise of blessing to Israel would look like. All the hopes of the people were crushed because it was inconceivable that the Messiah would die this way. Crucifixion was scandalous, and it carried the stigma of shame. It was meant to dehumanize and humiliate as a warning, not to challenge the Roman Empire. Wrongfully judged and sentenced to death by crucifixion, Jesus was nailed to the cross. His arms were outstretched, hammered to the cross, bleeding, beaten, thirsting, taunted, shamed, and abandoned? What? He was about to die? And here's where our scripture passage for today comes in. Matthew 27, 46, in the NIV version says, and read along with me, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lima Sanai and I'm sorry if I really, you know, messed that up. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Wait, what? God left Jesus? That's it? This is so contrary to so many scripture passages that say otherwise, that God will never leave us. So what is happening here? This feels godless. First of all, it couldn't get any worse for Jesus, could it? He's known this day would come, but no one could fathom the physical, the emotional, the spiritual toll on him. In the days of the Roman Empire, crucifixion was reserved for the lowliest of lows, the slaves, the foreigners, the disgraced, the followers of Christ. The message, don't challenge the Roman Empire, right? One would be stripped naked, tied to a post, and flogged on their backside, bloodied in immense pain, and then they'd be forced to carry the crossbar on which they would hang with their arms outstretched and tied to the crossbar. As they walked to their place of death, their clothes would be divided and taken. And in a few hours or a few days, usually this was done outside the city, they would be put on public enough display for people to walk by and witness their shame and degradation taking place. And in those hours or days, they would die a slow, agonizing death not godly at all. The cry of Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is chronicled in the books of Matthew and Mark and are the same words in Psalm 22 lamented in the Old Testament by David in his darkest hours. This, too, was Jesus' darkest hour. And in it, Jesus in the flesh was inclined to be the rawest and most truthful as you and I when human nature takes over. Similar to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, before taken into custody by the Roman soldiers, Jesus' sweat drops of blood, and he posed that question, not as I will, but as thou wilt, or I don't want to, but I will. A most truthful submission. This brings us to our first truth for when we face trials. In the midst of our trials, the cross of Jesus is all about number one, the raw emotion. Lament, knowing, God hears. Emotions that are strong and honest, good wrenching cries here's sadness I'm gonna put this picture of this sadness from Pixar's Inside Out movie and sadness we can learn from her she's doing raw emotion lamenting we're loud and we cry out because we want the pain to stop we want God to make it stop And we lament knowing that God hears. Often when we pray, we pray asking God for something, some outcome, some result. How often though do you and I come before Him solely and soulfully expressing the depths of what we feel? Whether it's joy or anger, sadness, fear, or any other emotion. How often do we just cry out, as Jesus did on the cross? It's cathartic. It's also a surrendering to God because it's less about telling God how to fix, how we want him to fix things, and more about bringing ourselves into communion with him. Isn't that how you build closeness with someone? By being completely raw and vulnerable in the times when you are the most fragile. This is how we build intimacy with our God because he already knows what we're feeling, what we're thinking, what's going on with us, but your lament is your choosing to bring it to him. You are choosing a closeness with God and that is what Jesus was doing on the cross. So our first reflection question today Something you can think about, um, hopefully, before you meet with your small groups. Reflecting on Matthew 27, 46, the scripture I just read, what feelings, what emotions, thoughts, or insights do you experience as you picture Jesus on the cross in his agony? Can you imagine being in his place? How does this change your perspective of the cross of Christ in times of great trial? Identifying how you think Jesus may have felt is a good start to being honest about our own emotions, which isn't always easy. Many of us have been taught to hold it in and put up a good front, but there's always time to get real with your emotions. I think back to Matthew Shepard. No one knows what was said after he was left for dead. He barely had a pulse when he was found. But a witness account that came upon the scene said, every part of his face was covered in dry blood from the massive injuries to his head, except for the dried tear stains that had streamed down his face to wash away the blood. Matthew lamented and surely God heard. Matthew may not have survived but in those hours he was not alone. Our God cares first and foremost about a close and loving relationship with you. During our trials, this is number two, second learning point, the cross of Jesus is all about the relationship and there is truth in the trinity while we may feel like god has abandoned us or we choose to turn from him the truth is god never abandons you when you've chosen to make jesus lord and savior of your life you are in relationship with him always how do we know this look and learn from the trinity i believe it was pastor dan that showed us a diagram of the trinity several Weeks ago, when he was preaching on Trinity Sunday, and it's a very clear visual of something difficult to visualize. You have God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are all God, as you see on that diagram, but with different names. But if you look at the outer um, lines connecting the triangle between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, It's clear that Father is not Son nor Holy Spirit. Son is not Father nor Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit is not Father nor Son. Different persons. They all have somewhat of a separate existence, but are still under this big category of God, and that makes them one, a Trinitarian one. This relationship is permanent. And in the creation of the Trinity, God covered all bases, Father in heaven, Jesus in the flesh who walked with us on earth, and the Holy Spirit until one day Jesus returns. We are never without the relationship of God. Scripture says in Deuteronomy 31.6, Be strong and have strength of heart. Do not be afraid or shake with fear because of them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will be faithful to you. He will not leave you alone. When Jesus cried out, my God, my God, he uses the word God, not Father, as he has all these other times, suggesting a step back from the usual intimacy that they shared. Why didn't he say, my Father, my Father? Perhaps this is like the times I've gotten into it with my kids, or maybe you can relate with your kids for the moment when we get into it. We may not like each other, and there's this temporary coldness or feeling of distance in our relationship, but the relationship of parent and child remains. The intimacy of fellowship with Jesus' Heavenly Father could have temporarily ceased, yet Jesus still knew he could call on him. He did. The fact that Jesus is still crying out using a possessive, my, with God, clearly suggests relationship. And I would argue there is still very much connection, no abandonment. The fact that Jesus has asked, why have you abandoned me, Jesus, is more suggestive of the humanness that Jesus took on along with the sin of the world, wouldn't anyone in the flesh feel abandoned in this situation? Wouldn't any human, Jesus included, not have the wherewithal to completely rationalize clearly at this moment? But there is truth in the Trinity and there is truth in the scriptures where we find the Trinity, although the word itself never appears in the New Testament father son and holy spirit are promised some have tried to rationalize that the crucifixion was actually pitting the father and son against one another when the truth is that this was a work undertaken by the trinity we know jesus just before he took his last breath on the cross uttered the words to god into your hands i commit my spirit as referenced in psalm 31 and luke 23, 46, where he once again uses the word father, signifying the relationship is solid and true and Trinitarian, it becomes even clearer now when Fleming Rutledge says in her book, The Crucifixion, which our whole sermon series is based on, she says, there is no way to Pentecost. Except by Calvary the spirit is given from the cross So we know that in our most difficult of times we can cry out to God and he listens We know that once we belong to Jesus. We belong to a family where we are always Having a place there and that God is always present yet why did Jesus have to suffer such atrocities why a cross to die? Why the shame and the torture, the false accusation, so much so that it causes Jesus and us to doubt the presence of God when we really need him? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, I'm reading from the New International Reader's Version says, Christ didn't have any sin, but God made him sin. God made him become sin for us so we can be made right with God because of what Christ has done for us. Christ didn't have any sin, but God made him become sin for us. Understand this. God hates sin, but not the sinner. In order for God to restore us from sin, there had to be ransom something offered. Think of sin with a capital S and death with a capital D as agencies of horrid annihilation. Through Jesus Christ, God took on the powers of sin with a capital S and death with a capital D, submitted to them by offering his son Jesus as ransom and thereby conquered them. That feels godless. But here's a great summary that I couldn't say it any better than the author herself, so I'm going to read part of um, a, a paragraph from Fleming Rutledge's book. The resurrection has to be understood as the vindication of the crucified one or it becomes just a vague, generic message of renewal and rebirth. Whatever that's taken to mean. The crucifixion was anything but a generic religious event. It was a horrific, state-sponsored, religiously approved method of torturing someone to death in public, and it happened within history at a specific place and time. This makes it irreligious and godless at its very core. God experienced godlessness within history. That means, doesn't it, that there is nothing human beings can suffer that is equal to the suffering of the man who cried on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There is nothing that human beings can suffer that is equal to the suffering of the man who cried on the cross. When you then pair the resurrection together with the crucifixion of Christ, then you get victory over godlessness. This becoming sin on our behalf is the turning point of man's redemption and salvation. This was the mission of Jesus, to give his life as ransom for many to save us. Christ's crucifixion justified the ungodly. You and I. So last point for today, during our trials, the cross of Jesus is all about, number three, the rescue and restoration. This is good news, friends. Everything about the cross is rattling, irreligious, incomprehensible, shameful. But friends, we must be willing to go to this place as best as we can in our own humanness. To begin to unpack this godlessness of the cross, exchange for grace and mercy and love poured out over us by a God who loves us to infinity and beyond. The cross, the most irreligious symbol ever to find its way into the heart of faith. One of the many mysteries of God is that during our most vulnerable and crushing times when it seems God is nowhere, that is when he is holding you whether you know it or not. There is a place called Gehenon, a small valley of Jerusalem, and Gehenon derives its name from a place where in the Hebrew Bible it is told that children were said to have been sacrificed to the pagan god Moloch by fire. So the place was deemed cursed. In fact, Kehenon is nicknamed hell on earth In 1979 Archaeologists began to excavate the area and they found parts of scrolls with scripture believed to be more than 400 years older than scrolls that were found in the Dead Sea so this would place these scrolls around the time before the destruction of the first temple the Temple of Solomon These bits of scripture found revealed almost verbatim the verses from Numbers 6, verses 24 to 26. May God bless you and keep you. May God's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May God turn his face toward you and give you peace. Imagine, from even before Jesus went to the cross in the outlying hellish place, The oldest bit of scripture uncovered today is a blessing of peace from God. Rest assured, by this we know God goes beyond to places unimaginable to rescue and to recover us because He loves us. His promises are eternally true. So take some time this week to reflect on our last question Question two, in applying the truths that we're taught today, when you have or will encounter trials, what comforts you from what was shared today? What comforts you and what challenges you? Graduates and friends, as you make your way to college or the workforce or whatever God has called you to, Know that there will be highs and lows, and we pray an abundance of highs for your life, but the reality is that there will be some valleys, deep valleys, that bring you despair and loneliness, fear and insecurity, and in those circumstances, remember the cross of Jesus. And for each of us, as we are challenged by the forces that want to divide and incite that find it difficult to do anything without hurting or using force and angry words, my prayer for you is that you would be able to see Jesus on the cross who continues to contend for better, better ways, better words, better faith, better people. You are an important part of loving and leading those who don't know better to knowing Jesus by your actions and your words and your heart. The Cross depicted with Jesus' lifeless body is to remind you of its transformative power. The Cross of Jesus willingly receives all of your raw emotions and, rest assured, God hears you. The Cross of Christ proclaims your relationship with God is secure and enduring because there is truth in the Trinity and the Cross of Jesus rescues and restores. This is good news. Christ died the way that he did so that you would be forgiven and redeemed and have the assurance of life eternally with our Father in heaven and with Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Great and mysterious one. We cannot begin to understand or know everything that you do. We cannot fathom the pain, the shame, the despair that your son Jesus endured as he became sin on our behalf and took his place on the cross to reconcile us with you. Thank you, God, that your love for us is so immense, so immeasurable, that it reaches and extends far beyond what we could imagine it finds us in the depths of our despair it teaches and transforms us to be better people that embrace and that choose to live out the ways in which your son jesus poured out it promises a trinity and a relationship that is permanently in place to meet us wherever we're at father we pray over our graduates as they begin new chapters finding their way through joys and challenges we pray They will hold the cross of Jesus close to their hearts to remind them and encourage them that you are near, listening, accepting, and loving them to wholeness. Lord, we ask too, if there is anyone here today that hasn't had the opportunity to pray and invite you into their heart to declare you as their one true Lord and Savior, that you would have them repeat these words where they are. Father, I desire a relationship with you. One that I'm forgiven, redeemed, and saved. I open my heart to invite you to live in me. And I desire to belong to your family. Amen. Lord Jesus, we love you and we thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus for showing us the depth of your love for us in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.